Well, good morning, church. It is good to be with you, especially those of you that are joining us online this morning via our live stream. We're glad that you have chosen to be with us wherever you are, whether it be here in the city of Fort Worth or anywhere around the world from where we have folks joining us today. We are glad that you have chosen to make the effort to be with us today, as well as those that are joining us this morning on KTCU via the radio. We are glad that you are with us as well. As Renee mentioned a moment ago, we are continuing our series today that we're calling The Leading Causes of Life. Over the last 18 months, we've been reminded, haven't we, of all of the leading causes of death, including the newest one. Last year, COVID-19 was the third leading cause of death here in the United States. We've been talking way too much in the last year and a half about death. And so in this series, we're talking about the leading causes of life. What are those things that allow us to live the life that God has entrusted us to live, the one life, to live with a, a sense of vitality, of wholeness, of meaning and purpose, of health? What are those leading causes of life? The text that you're going to hear this morning is from John's Gospel. It's a section of the text known as the Farewell Discourse, John 15, 16, and 17. It's basically Jesus' final teachings before he dies. He gives them one last instruction before he leaves them. I always imagine in my mind's eye that in many ways it's like, it's like those parents getting ready to drop their kids off at college. Now just remember, all of the things that I've been teaching you, make good choices. Live this way. So I invite you to listen now to John chapter 15. The scripture is from John's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. Here begins the reading. These are the words of Jesus. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and to bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commandments so that you may love one another. Here ends the reading the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So back in the 1950s, in the midst of the civil rights movement, when the entire thing seemed to be holding on by a slender thread, its young leaders of that movement were baffled by this storm of violence, by all of the, the political cynicism that was raving around them. It was beyond what they even anticipated in their darkest imaginations. And so they came together one night to talk through some strategy, to figure out what their next steps would be. Some wondered if maybe they should take to the streets and protest. 
Some thought that maybe, maybe what we need to do is to, to take this movement to the courts. Some thought, well, maybe we go to the churches, to the schools. Some wondered if maybe, maybe they just pause for a moment to stop, to give it some time to settle down and figure out what our next steps will be. John Lewis, who would go on to become a congressman who was only 23 at the time, spoke up in the midst of this conversation and said, essentially, y'all do what you want to do, but I'm marching. And so the conversation continued for another hour or so, and then John Lewis spoke up again and says, y'all do what you want to do, come tomorrow, I'm marching. And again, they debated wearing themselves out, trying to figure it all out. And the next morning, though, true to his word, Lewis got up and he marched. And so did hundreds of others. It was all that they could do in that moment. And so they did. And in that moment, Lewis, you could say, he expressed a sense of agency. He moved, he chose, he acted. And that expression of agency, this, this action, it created hope where there was none. It, it connected people that had been broken. It, it, it created possibility when it felt like there was none left. You see, humans, we, we humans, we, we do things. We're doers. Gary Gunderson wrote a book a number of years ago about the connection between faith and health, and it's been very helpful and very instrumental and influential in helping me put this series together. And in it, he says this. He said, humans, humans do. We go here or there, now or later, fast or slow. We do. We lift. We reach. We touch. We hold. We dig. We study. We watch. We fight. We love. We seek. We wait. And we stand. We do, he says. And thus we live. We do. And thus we live. Last week we talked about meaning and purpose. We talked about the sense of coherence. We talked about discerning who we are and what we want our lives to be about. About whether or not the life that we are living is the life that wants to live in us. It was a phrase that I stole from Parker Palmer we spend a lot of time, don't we, a lot of energy thinking about what we want our lives to be about. But do we spend enough time and energy actually doing things with it? In the text that you just heard, before he dies, Jesus invites his followers and tells him, you're no longer servants. You've been following me for these last several years, and now, now it's time. It's your time. You're no longer servants of mine, but now I call you my friends. He's telling them that, that now it's their turn to, to, to pick up his actions, to pick up where he left off, that they are to become agents of change and possibility in the same way that Jesus, over the last several years, over his life, has been an agent of change and possibilities. Isn't that essentially what it means to be a follower of Jesus? To be his hands and his feet, to, to carry out his actions, the very things that he was about, we are to be about as people of faith. You see, I'm afraid that all too often the church gets 
caught up in what I sometimes refer to as thoughts and prayers theology. When something happens in the world, when a great injustice takes place, when there's some sort of tragedy, we offer, we offer, we come together and we offer our thoughts and our prayers. It's not that thinking and praying aren't important. I think it's a crucial step, but it's only the first step. You see, at some point, those thoughts and prayers, they need, they need feet and hands. Thinking and praying needs to turn into acting and doing at some point in the process. Our thoughts and prayers need feet and hands. Kate Bowler is a professor at Duke Divinity School. She's also a prolific writer. She wrote a, a blog a while back simply entitled, A Blessing When Thoughts and Prayers Are Not Enough. Listen to what she has to say there. Blessed are we who ask God to free us from the temptation to look away in horror or fear or revert instead to thoughts and prayers theology that offers the low-hanging fruit of easy condolences but is nowhere near enough. She goes on to say, God, save me from inaction that will only make me complicit, a party of the betrayal of others and of you. Free us from the temptation, O oh God, of reverting to thoughts and prayers theology that allows us to be complicit. At some point, we have to do something. Instead of focusing on problems, we need to focus on what is possible. A couple of years ago, our board of stewards, the leadership, the governing body of this congregation, decided that as a congregation, we were going to focus on children's literacy, building on the work of the children's closet that has been going on for a number of years, fantastic ministry of this church that provides, that provides uh, school uniforms to children in the Fort Worth ISD who can't afford them. We decided that we we're going to build on that and, and to take it to the next level and to focus on children's literacy and make it one of our main missional priorities. You see, in part, we do this because, because we recognize that we live in a city where 81% of the students in our public school system qualify for free or reduced lunches. That means, church, that, that four out of five children in the Fort Worth school district are at or below the poverty level. They start out behind. Recently, after hearing one of my sermons, Jamie Smith, who's a member of this congregation, she was here at the 9 o'clock this morning. She heard my sermon, and the following day she emailed me. She, she is one who, who works, uh, travels around the state working with administrators and teachers on the topic of literacy, and she sent me a video. Actually, it was, a, it was a TED Talk that talked about literacy being one of the leading causes of life, that literacy is a leading cause of life. It's the speaker was a, a, a gen, gentleman by the name of John Trichetti. He's a librarian here in Texas, and he pointed out, he pointed out that 8.2 million lives are claimed every year to cancer. 8.2 million lives are claimed to cancer. 17.3 million people die every year of heart disease. It's the leading cause of death worldwide. 
And 422 million people die, or excuse me, live each day with diabetes, including some folks here in this room right now. 422 million people live with diabetes. And as staggering as those numbers are, even more staggering is that an astounding 1 billion people worldwide. One billion people, one-seventh of the world's population cannot read or write. They are functionally illiterate. And John points out, he says that, that if this were a health issue, that it would be an epidemic of disastrous proportions. It would be deemed an epidemic, and unlike all of those other issues that I just mentioned, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, those things don't have a cure but illiteracy, it does. It's a solvable problem. And just as vaccines can stop spread of disease, literacy can help eliminate the, and stop the spread of hunger, of poverty, of crime. That is the best tool that we have to break those harsh cycles that all too often cripple our society. When we decided a couple of years ago to make literacy one of our mission priorities. I started doing a little research, and some of the things that I discovered is that if a child is not reading proficiently by the fourth grade, that if a child is not reading proficiently by the fourth grade, they have a 78% chance of never catching up. You know, you've heard me say before that up until the third grade, we learn to read, and after third grade, we read to learn. And so if we are not reading proficiently at that level, we never, all too often, 78% will never catch up, putting them behind the eight ball in way too many ways. 90% of welfare recipients are either high school dropouts or are functionally illiterate. 90% of welfare recipients. And 85% of juveniles who who interface with the court system are functionally illiterate. And here's the thing. There is not any other single factor that can so drastically shape a child's chances of success, their, their earning potential, their health and well-being, that is able to help them break the cycle of violence and poverty than education, and in particular, literacy. Simply being able to read and write I spoke with a couple people this last week. One of them, my friend and colleague, Charles Johnson, who's the executive director of an organization called Pastors for Texas Children. They do incredible work around the advocacy of children in public schools. I also spoke with Elizabeth Brands of Reed Fort Worth, a ministry partner of ours these last few years. And both of those people expressed concern about how this, this last year what experts are now referring to as the lost year because of the interruption of learning due to the pandemic, that it has impacted our children not just academically but emotionally as well. They pointed out that across the state, reading scores for students in the third to eighth grade have declined eight percentage points just in the last year. Right now, only 37% of third graders in the state of Texas, public school students in the state of Texas, are on level. 37% are on level. 
Do you remember the statistic that I gave you just a minute ago that 78% of those children will never catch up? And sadly, that number is even lower here in Fort Worth. I also spoke with Ann Dar, a member of our congregation who serves on the, the school board, and she explained that sadly, sadly, the math data is even worse that last year, we saw a statewide decline of 16% in math scores due to the interruption of academics due to the pandemic. I read one figure that Algebra 1 scores, Algebra 1 scores dropped 24 points last year. I am safe to say that if I were to have taken that test, it would have been around 26% that it would have dropped. I went to seminary so I wouldn't have to take math, but that's another sermon for another time. You see, algebra is hard enough, right? Algebra is hard enough, but learning algebra online is even harder. And as you can imagine, as you can imagine, there were some equity gaps. There was performance that, that declined among all demographic groups, but, but rates declining more significantly for people Students that were identified by the TEA, the Texas Education Association, as economically disadvantaged, Hispanic, black, and English learners, thus, I say, further widening already sizable gaps with their peers, they say. You see, church, the situation is somewhat dire. The problems before us are big, and here's what I want you to hear me say this morning. Our thoughts and our prayers are not enough. Our thoughts and our prayers are not enough. Recently, we formed a partnership with an organization called excuse me, Academy 4. And, and Academy 4 connects churches to schools and communities through the mentoring of fourth graders. They provide a mentor for every single fourth grader in economically disadvantaged schools in which they serve. Alice D. Contreras Elementary School is an elementary school about two and a half miles from here. It's a feeder school for Pasco High School just right down the street. And they have been trying for a couple of years to become an Academy 4 school, but they couldn't find anyone to take it on until now. Because University Christian Church, in the last couple of months, we raised our hands and said, we'll do it. We're in. We will provide a mentor for every single fourth grader at Alice D. Contreras Elementary School. It is a school that has a regular program, but also a dual language school that serves students from a, a very diverse background. It's not necessarily really a, a neighborhood school. Most of the students are bused in. And the vast majority, something like 88, 89% of the students Two and a half miles away at Alice D. Contreras Middle School, elementary school, received free or reduced lunch. Now, part of the good news in all of this, you may have read that attendance or enrollment at elementary schools has been in decline in the midst of the pandemic. But this year at Alice D. Contreras Elementary School, it was up 25%, 25% higher than they ever anticipated which is fantastic news for a number of one. One, it means that more kids are in school, but second of all, it means that more of us get the chance to serve. You see how I did that? 
It means that more of us get to put our faith into action. We get to, we get to do something. And so we are looking for 110 mentors to serve together for 90 minutes, one Friday a month for the next eight months. And we need another 22 to serve as substitutes to step in when somebody can't be there on that particular Friday to simply be a mentor for a fourth grade student, to be a friend. Here's the thing. You don't have to be a member of University Christian Church, so invite your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, and anyone over the age of 16, 16 and up can do it. In fact, Pascal High School and a number of other schools in the area are more than happy to allow their students one Friday afternoon off a month to go and to serve in this way. Academy 4 has many Pascal and TCU students mentor over the years. 90 minutes, once a month, typically the first Friday of the month, it gives you the opportunity to literally change a child's life and I'm willing to bet it'll change your life as well. You see, these kids need us. They don't need our thoughts and our prayers. They need us to show up. They need us to do. You see, the investment in the intellectual development of our children and of our neighbor's children, it's not a, it's not a nice to have. It's a must have. If we're going to be the type of city, if we're going to be the type of community, we all have a chance. It's a must-have. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. If mentoring, if literacy is not your thing, or if you're not in Fort Worth and you don't have a chance to serve at Contreras Elementary School, well, here's the thing. Find something else. Find something else to do. Find something that you're passionate about and give everything that you have to making that happen. You see, when our purpose matches with our doing, in that moment we have found our calling. As Frederick Buechner once said, the place that God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. You see, church, I believe that in the end, that God cares a whole lot more about our deeds than our creeds. God cares a whole lot more about what we do than what we believe. That night in that church, 1950s, John Lewis says, y'all do what you want, I'm marching. Church, y'all do what you want. I'm mentoring.